0: Church, you doing all right? Yeah, it's good to see you. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. You know, every single week, the beginning of every single message, I just want to let you know if we haven't had a chance to connect or you're visiting, I would love to help you get connected into the church. One of the things that we say here uh, repeatedly because we believe it's true, we've seen it work in people's lives. It's how God created us to be. The church is not just an event or an activity you go to. It's actually a family that you're called to take your place in and belong to. And so we want to help you do that. There's so much more that happens in our church week in and week out. And, and the quicker you can move from your seats to actually being involved in that, the better it's going to be uh, for you and really for our world. Look around our world, man. We need healthy churches that love God and shine bright lights. And so if, if you're interested or maybe you have some questions or you'd like to connect with me, maybe put a face with the name, I actually, right outside this exit to the the right, uh, I like to loiter in this area called the guest suite uh, with my team, our staff. Everyone's there. We'd love to answer any questions and, and get you involved. I know Pastor Josh, our student pastor, talked about the serve team social coming up. I actually host those at my house um, once a month, and so we combine our Belton and our serve team uh, members together, plus anybody who's just new, uh, wanting to get to know some people. That's one of the best things you can do is commit to a weekend, week out team where you're seeing people, you're growing alongside. Others uh, and you're getting to know uh, people in the church. So I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't. Uh, today we're actually continuing a series. This is the third week of a four-week series where we've been studying through the New Testament book of First John, and we're going to continue to do that. As a matter of fact, today really marks the halfway point. We've made it through halfway. We're going to be in the back half of John and really John's letter you might have noticed John uh, there's lots of Johns in the Bible Uh, this John was the disciple whom Jesus loved right he said that about himself in his gospel of John and he would later go on to establish and begin to build the local church he would start out in Ephesus which is modern-day Turkey but that region would grow churches would be expanding and he would be writing letters uh, to the church in that region that's actually what this letter is now it's very important context-wise that you understand when you're opening up the Bible Who the audience is. There's always three audiences in the Bible. There's a Jewish audience. Is it being spoken to the Jewish nation or the Jewish people? Then there's the Gentile audience, which is everyone who isn't of the Jewish nation. And then there's the church. And it's important because sometimes if you don't understand who it's written to, you'll start making assumptions about what you should do. And so this letter, just to put it clearly in your mind, is a letter to the church. It's in response to probably a letter that, you know, you know, you write those letters where you just write everything that's frustrating and everything that's going bad down and you stick it in a drawer. Come on, anybody do that? Some people say that's cathartic, you know. It's like one of those letters. Like, he didn't share that letter, but he's getting back to the church, and he's leaning in, and he's teaching them how to live their faith in a very, very dark culture. Have you noticed that, like, usually in the United States, when you ask somebody, like, you know, like, what are you? What's your faith background? What do they almost always say? Christian, for now. They still say Christian for now, all right? But when you look at their lives, you realize there's a lot more people who say they're Christian than that are really Christian. Have you noticed that? Is it just me? Uh, it's just like that. And, and you can see somebody's faith by the fruit that comes from their life. And what John is saying to this church, he's kind of confused, like they're living in this woke culture, you know, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. People are confused about even the most basic things. By the way, wokeness did not start with our generation. Okay, It's been a battle that the enemy has waged against the truth. God is all truth, all knowledge, omniscient. Right? It's a battle that the devil's waging against God, and we're wrapped up in the middle of it. This church was like that. As a matter of fact, it was really, really confused uh, about what its mission was. It was confused about what does it mean to really be a Christian. So John really lays out four characteristics that make you unmistakably Christian. Like, there, there is no mistaking what a true believer is versus uh, a, a, a maybe a cultural Christian. And so we've taken a look at different characteristics. This week we're going to talk about love. Unmistakable love. And John, in this, really helps this church define what love is biblically, because like in our culture, in his, people started getting fast and loose with the word love. You know, love can mean all kinds of things, right? Uh, culture actually has attacked this word uh, incessantly, right? Incessantly uh, to try to redefine it apart from God. The Bible actually says God is love, okay? So the enemy's really attacking this idea of love in our culture because it's the very essence of God. So today we're going to learn uh, in the back half of 1 John what the unmistakable love of a believer looks like you know I was thinking about love this week and I came across this story this funny joke a young man called his mom and announced to her on the phone I have met the love of my life went on to describe this woman that he met and I think she's the one mom like I I, mean I think this is the one God made for me I'm not sure that that's biblical but but man he was just going on and on he was absolutely love struck by this woman and he asked his mom, like, what, 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 what should I do now? I don't really know what to do. And mom said, well, what, will you start by sending her some flowers? And then on a card, you know, invite her, you know, to, to your home for a home cooked meal. Like, really, like, roll out the red carpet, like, you know, kind of woo her a bit. So he, he thought that was a great idea. And he arranged the next week to do that. Well, he arranged it, but he never came back to his mom to tell her how it went. And so, like, a week and a half go, goes by, and his mom calls him and says, hey, like, how did the big date go? And the son says, honestly, Mom, it was an absolute disaster. And she goes, well, why? Didn't she come over? She said, yes, she came over, but she refused to cook. <clears> that's funny. That's funny. How many of you all know that brother needs some help? That brother needs some help. Okay, that brother needs some help. That's funny. If you don't think that's funny, you probably won't like this church. That's okay. <clears> okay. <throat> <laughs> That's definitely one kind of love. Um, it is not the God love, though. And we're going to talk about it today. If you're taking notes, go ahead and pull, um, pull those out. You can also follow along the notes on the app. I'm going to give you some characteristics of unmistakable love. What we're going to do in the next few minutes is we're going to really define uh, for us, really really define what the Bible says is love and how it works practically in our life. The first thing that we see uh, in an unmistakable love is unmistakable love receives. This is critical to understanding God's love. God's love is a love that you receive. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Now, this is a fascinating scripture. He goes in and he says, hey, listen, so what great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called God's children. Children, how many of you by a show of hands you have kids? Okay, you love them, right? Did they do anything to really deserve that love at the point of conception? Anybody? No? You didn't even know them. Matter of fact, for many of us, we weren't even thinking about it. Come on, anybody. (laughs) But contrary to what, you know, woke culture will say, there is an outcome to the twinkle in your eye (laughs) and moments with your spouse, hopefully, right? That that produce offspring. You think to yourself, did you have kids because you just needed them? I mean, how many of you buy shelf angels? Like, man, I had kids, and it's like my life was so much less complicated. They, kids just simplified everything. I have more money in my bank account. I mean, I have more time on my schedule. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm just at peace. Anybody who's had kids, you know that, you understood what it meant, right? to have a joy that surpasses all understanding, peace, right, that you needed from God. Because the moment they're born, you're just like, you, don't, you just want to keep them alive. And, you, and all of a sudden, the stress, and the like, right, like, right. I heard a friend, uh, a counselor friend that I listen to regularly, somebody shows up in his office and, you know, he was all depressed and down and, and out. And, you know, he's like, man, what's wrong with me? And the counselor's like, nothing's wrong with you. I'm honestly surprised that everybody's not like this all the time, you know, just with everything you have going on in our life, in our world, right. Unmistakable love, he says here, is a love from God, the perfect father, to his kids. Why does the world not understand it? Because they're not kids. They're not God's kids. Your kids receive your love. As a matter of fact, I I believe the love of a parent is the closest love we get to this agape love that we're going to learn about. The word here is agape. It's, it's It's the unconditional love of God. Not an unconditional love. You can't do that. No such thing. You don't have an unconditional love for God. Right, you don't have an unconditional love for people apart from God. You can't do that in yourself because you're conditional. It's true. Like you're conditional. Like I mean, if you're like, not my kids. I'll always love them. That don't mean they're always going to live in your house. Come on, anybody. You got some conditions to closeness and relationship and this side of heaven. Like this is a part of God that you and I cannot get on our own. Love has to come to us. From God, It is the, agape, the word's agape, the unconditional love of God. You receive it so that you can reflect it. That's what we're taught in Scripture, the unconditional love of God. The other word I want to focus here is the word bestowed. It's not really a word that we use a lot these days. I doubt you walk up to the breakfast table and say to your kids in the morning, I hereby bestow these waffles upon you, my child. (laughs) But it literally is a Greek word that means to give somebody... To give someone as his own, like to grant them, to supply, to endue them, right? I believe the closest thing we have to even understanding this is parenthood. I believe that if if you stick it out in marriage and you put God first, I think maybe 25 years down the line you can start to experience this too, but it comes from God. You know, this is important because we're immersed in a world that screams, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And if we're not careful, we bring that relationship, that, that, that idea into our relationship with God, and it will never fit. Relationships in our culture have followed this mantra, and many people find themselves asking this question, I thought your love for me was based on who I am, not on what I can do for you, only to realize it's not. Right In the original language, I'm going to break down a few words because I do think it's very important for you to understand because when people use the word love, um, they can get it out of order. I believe with all my heart, if you're in here and you've given your life to Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God no matter what. The devil can't take your soul. You're destined for heaven, man. It's going to be an incredible place. But if he can't steal your soul, he will get you so confused, which is what he did to the church here. He'll get you so confused about what something means that you won't be effective in your life. You see, in the beginning, God spoke order to chaos. In your life, there's patterns. God speaks order into your life. Order is a great thing. Aren't you glad you can hop on the interstate and get from one state to the other? People used to backpack, okay? But, but what happened? There are roads that were carved out into those mountains and into those regions to be able to get from point A to point B. We don't want to get lost in love. There are actually several Greek words, which is the language that the New Testament is written in, that give us an idea of love. I'm going to give you three that I think will be really helpful for you in sorting this out. The first kind of love is a word called phileo, and this is friendship love. Think of Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. This is the love of doing life with another and enjoying one another. It entails a strong emotional connection. There's another love called eros. This is an erotic, physical, sexual love. This is the physical intimacy designed for the relationship between one husband, which is a biological male, one wife, which is a biological female, in the confines of a marriage with... God, okay? you going to be confused about that. That love is actually meant for that relationship, God's way. Then there's agape, which is the unconditional love of God. Now, I want to take just a moment to explain how we actually love from God to others. You know, before Christ, the Bible says um, that your spirit was dead in you. Did you know that you were created in the image of God, which means you look like him? Okay, so God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? One God. We can talk about Trinitarian ideas later, okay? But we, we are the same way. Paul tells us in Thessalonians that we are created three parts as well, spirit, soul, and body. Every one of us, because of sin, we were born into this world with a dead spirit. Okay, the spirit is the part of us that connects with God, right? When Adam and Eve died in the garden, they didn't die a physical death, They died a spiritual death. Their ability to relate and to commune and to connect with God was severed. That's what sin does in our life. Okay, so your spirit, you have a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. Okay, and before Christ, we had our soul. We also had a body. That's your five senses, right? And we were soul and body people before Christ. The Bible says when we give our life to Christ, our spirit, which was once dead, is now made alive in Christ. And now we can live like we were supposed to live to begin with, with our spirit in charge. And this is very important, especially as we talk about love. Think about this for just a moment. Agape, that's the unconditional love of God. You are born again. You did nothing to deserve it. It was bestowed upon you. You give your life to Christ, all of a sudden you can connect with that loving God. You're born again, the Bible says, when you surrender your life To Christ, then in right order you can actually love your brothers and sisters in the right way. Phileo love, friendship love begins to develop. By the way, you can't have a relationship like that with just everybody, right? If everybody's your best friend, he knows people. They're just my best friend. It's like, man, you got like five thousand Facebook best friends. I don't think they're your best friend. (laughs) Truth is, you probably only have the capacity deeply to walk with about fifteen people in your life, aside from your your family, aside from your natural family. And so that, that develops core relationships. But then you have this eros, which is a body love. So think about this for a minute. You have agape, which is a spirit love, right, from God, the unconditional love of God. Okay, you have a soul love, which is relationships, phileo, your ability to have healthier relationships. And then you have an eros love, which is a body love, spirit, soul, and body. I, I really believe this. Our maturity in Christ is based more on the ability to receive God's love than by showing it. Now, showing it happens. The Apostle Paul will write about what happens when we receive the love of God and we appropriately, right, we have it in the right order in our life. There are a lot of people that get it out of order. There are lots of Christians that will tell you, you know, the, the, you know what the reason, a lot of people tell you, church is all about brotherly love. You know, they'll say, we, should, we just have friends. You know, your pastor should, everyone, your pastor should know every one of your names and the color of your sofa and, and you know, your, what, where, you, where you store your coffee cups and he should just be your best friend. But this is a family of God. The church is not just anything we want it to be. It's the family of God with God at the head. So if agape isn't at the top of that love, then phileo won't work. It's the same problem when we talk about eros. The world loves to say, eros, that's what love is. If I can just meet my sexual desires, if I can just be fulfilled sexually in whatever way that I want, down to my own biology, then, then I'll be fulfilled and yet we see where that ends every single time. You see, it is about order. Agape has to be first. Everyone say first. Okay, then you nest phileo and eros underneath those. It's so important. So important. Next thing I want to talk about is unmistakable love requires commitment. Right? So you have to be able to receive from God, okay? but it requires a commitment from you. When you read in scripture, anytime God does anything miraculous, there's always a cooperation with someone, right? It's like we really, we want the miracles of God, but we don't want to be involved, right? Which is God, will you just do everything? Isn't it interesting when we want to blame God for something bad that's happened in our life, how we remove ourselves from our life? Isn't that funny? It's like, yeah, you know what, God, I can blame you because I'm going to take no responsibility for my part in anything, right? But, but unmistakable love requires commitment. Look what... John says about how, what our commitment looks like. Remember, it's in order for a reason. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Think about this passage for a minute. Context really matters. Who is this letter written to? The church. When he's talking about brothers and sisters, he actually says, your first responsibility is to love your other brothers and sisters in this thing called spiritual family, the local church. And if you can't do that, by the way, if you do that right, the world will hate you. Did you hear what he just said? If you do that right, the world will hate you, but will never be able to deny you. You know know where you learn to allow the agape love of Christ to flow through your life? It's not with your 401, you know, your 501c3 nonprofit. It's not by your special little ministry that you do on your own. You learn it in the family of God. He literally says, to the extent you love the family of God, I can see that the love of the Father is in you. How do you practice it? You know, you practice it right here. And listen, this is important because in our world, nobody wants to be committed to anything. Nobody wants to be committed to anything. The church has become this thing where you just come in, discover your purpose and your gifts. You only have a purpose and gifts that align with God's. Seek first the kingdom of God, not your own fulfillment and purpose. Like align yourself to God's ways, right? And that's where fulfillment and meaning and purpose come. And if we're not careful, we see church as like this suit we put on, this place we go to, this, this almost this disposable group of relationships where we can just kind of like have a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Oh, when I need something, somebody better come. I can't believe that person didn't call me back. But we do. It's a consumer attitude. And here John's saying, hey, this is creeping into that church. And part of the reason I believe it was is because everyone on the outside that doesn't even know God doesn't even have agape in their heart, is trying to tell the people on the inside how they're supposed to live and we're listening to them. We need to stop listening to them. We need to stop listening to them. You know, the Bible says if we do this right, they'll hate us. They'll hate us. Woe, not woke, when all people speak well of you from Jesus. Woe, that's a bad thing. There's something that happens with our light. There's something that happens with the flavor of our life when we're committed to churches. And I, listen, I've met people. Usually it's two years. For whatever reason, two years in, There's a test. There's a test. Am I going to remain faithful? Or am I going to, to, oh, the church just hurt me, spiritual abuse, blah, 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 blah. How many of you guys have ever been hurt by somebody else? How many of you ever hurt someone else? Guess what? None of us have an excuse. There's no such thing as church hurt. No such thing. Not for the believer. Not unless you bump your head on the door on the way in. None. Have you ever been hurt by somebody in your family? Do You just say they're dead to me. Some of you do, and look at your life. It's not going well. My point is is we, we, we need a, our commitment to one another. I'm just saying like we we got we to directly correlate that to our relationship with God. To the extent we're receiving agape love is our ability to walk with other people in this place called the local church. It's so important. It requires commitment. It requires commitment. The next thing, and I think this is important. Remember, it's in order. Unmistakable love sees. So, so we're able to receive God's love, right? It's nothing that we work for. It's nothing that we could ever earn. It's bestowed upon us only from God. So we receive God's love. Then we commit to one another in this thing called spiritual family of the church. This is interesting, too. God actually compares the church, the body of Christ, to his wife. Think about that for a minute. How I many of y'all married? You mean you're married? Yeah. You probably know some things that, I don't know, your husband or wife could do better. Maybe. Is there, like, is there anything in your mind, like you just think, you know, I do. I mean, I have a list of things. And then, I may or may not tell her for fear of my life. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing that I won't allow to happen. I won't allow somebody else to talk about it. Think about that commitment. Jesus says, that's how I am to the church. He even tells husbands, if you would just love your wives like I love the church, your homes wouldn't be looking like they are today. That's what he told husbands that. Think about that level of commitment we have for one another, it's not perfection. This side of heaven, listen, if you think there's a perfect church, good luck with that. And even if it was perfect, the moment you walked in, you just screwed it all up. (laughs) It's not, it's messy and it's ugly. And sometimes you gotta fight through that for the greatest relationships. You know what's great about a big church? People always like big church, small church. I love a big church, you know why? Because some people are annoying. I mean, what if, what if I went to a church and it was all the same annoying people? Well, I can't go there anymore. You know what's great? You don't like that small group? They were a little weird? Go to another one. You don't like that team? Just switch, it's okay. You still love you. There's a reason why the nose isn't by the armpit and the body. You guys can argue about which one's which, but, but you get the point, right? I mean, that, that is kind of the nature. I, I don't know about you, but I watch my kids. I watch my kids, and I'm I'm just, I'm a, like, like they 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 form these little alliances, you know. It's like the Hunger Games, you know. And they're all different, and they all kind of lean into each other in different seasons of their life. And you know, one year they like you know they like you know, the middles. We have the middles, the littles, the oldest, and the youngest. You know, they kind of pair them up. That's how the family of God is as it grows up and matures, you know. And 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 I just I think that commitment is so key. And here's why. Here's ultimately why, because we need to see. We need to be able to see. If you and I can't remove the logs from our own eye, how in the world are we gonna see to help to remove the speck from our brothers? How are we gonna see how to help culture? How are we gonna see, how are we gonna be, how are we gonna, we have to be able to see? And we learn how to see. First John three sixteen. this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods, and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him. How does God's love reside in him? How does does love reside in him? These two verses are central to the entire book of 1 John, not just chapter three, but John's laid out this entire letter. It's leading up to this moment. He's saying that overcoming sin and walking clean, living in the anointing of the Holy Spirit leads you to a place where you can see the needs of others and you can walk in the love of God. Let's be a church that does that. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, that you clearly demonstrated love for us when you sent Christ to die for us. That you clearly demonstrated love, not in words, but in action. You sent your son to this earth to be tempted in every way like us to show us the way forward. I pray, God, that that love would emanate from us. I pray that we would would be able to receive the unconditional love that you have for us. That, Father, it would give us the grace to walk with others as we grow alongside one another. That ultimately, Lord, we would be able to see what needed to be done. And as a church, we would do it. I pray, Father, that we would continue to hear from you this week. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every one of us individually about the one thing that we need to adjust, the one thing that we need to work on. I thank you, Father, that your word teaches my life is demonstrated. You can't lose if you don't quit. You already win. Father, I pray for each and every one of us to hear you this week. I also pray, God, for anybody in here that doesn't know you. I pray that, Lord, they wouldn't leave this place the same way that they came. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're almost done, and even early. I think one of the most important things that we do every single week is we provide a place and a space for people who are far from God to draw near to him. That's what we're gonna do right now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that's not through good works. It's not through raw, brute, willpower or strength, but it's through an act of free will that you're made right with God. For the first time or the hundredth time, the path is the same way same direction. The Lord says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you put him first in your life for the first time or again, then you believe in your heart that what the Bible says about him is true, that he died for your sin, that God raised him from the dead, that he conquered death to give you life. It says from that place, you can be righteous. From that place, you can be saved. And maybe you're in here today and you're, you're going, man, I, I've I've given my life to Christ at some point. I've, I've tried to walk, but the truth is I'm not. I'm not on the path today. I'm far from him. Maybe you're in here and you've never, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. I can save you a whole lot of pain and effort. Your life will never be all that it was made to be apart from a relationship with God, and you cannot get there apart from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one finds fulfillment meaning from the Father except through me. And in a moment I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. I'm not gonna do anything weird. But I do think it's important, Jesus said that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. I think it is important between me, you, and God that if you're far from him and you don't want to be, you acknowledge that. That's you. Would you just put your hand up halfway and put it right back down? I see you. I see you. Put it up and right back down. Thank you. Thank you. You're never the only one. Is there anyone else, you say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. I'm far from God, I don't want to be. It's the most important decision that you can make or make again. Anyone else, before we change the order of the service, anyone else, you say, That's me, pray for me. Thank you. In a moment we're going to pray a prayer, we're going to all pray it with you because each of our faith started or restarted with the same act of free will. If you raised your hand and you really meant it, I want to encourage you to say this prayer with me just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. Allow it to be an expression of why you raised your hand. I believe on the other side, God's going to give you a step. My advice to you is take it as quickly as possible. We're going to also give you some instruction as well, but for right now, we're going to pray. We're going to get right with God. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's all pray this prayer together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed that you rose from the dead. I believe you conquered death to give me life. Today I choose life. Today I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray, and everybody said, amen. Come on, put our hands together.